10 o'clock? Okay. Uh, welcome. My name is Wendy, and I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we begin, we ask that all cell phones and other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please check again. The script says that. Uh, the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There will be audio recordings of this workshop, which you may purchase outside in the foyer. This workshop will have four speakers, followed by Ask It Basket questions. During the workshop, please keep the Ask It Basket moving. What's your name? Suzanne's going to start the Ask It Basket once we get going. Um, the topic for this session is literature, providing the roadmap, and the principle is clarity. We will begin with a selection from Lifeline, April 2000, page 10. Home I went after the meeting with some literature in hand. I spent the next few days reading, trying to understand the OA concept. I had a few questions, but where could I go for answers? Back to that room, that's where. With some of my questions answered and more literature, I headed home again. Um, let's welcome our first speaker, Tiffany. Hi, my name is Tiffany. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. It's so balmy in here. Um, anyway, we found the AC, so we have that power. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> hopefully this room will be uh, warmer than the first one that I was in, which was, whew. Um, you know, I, uh, I go to an outside organization for, I don't know, some kind of service early Sunday. And uh, when uh, the music is great and the speakers are great and the, sp and the prayers are great, um, when the minister gets up to speak before she even gives her sermon, she'll say, we've had church. We've already had church. We've already had church. And I had the feeling, the only reason I mention that is because I had the feeling when I had heard the two speakers last night that I heard, and then when I heard the speakers in the first session that I heard this morning, I was like, oh, I've already had a convention. I was like, the pressure is off on me for speaking or any of the rest of the sessions or any of the rest of the speakers because I've already heard so much and gotten so much out of this. So I came into OA when I was 28. I'm 44 now. Um, I uh, will have seven years of abstinence on October 1st. Um, and I uh, right now I weigh 136 pounds. My top weight was uh, 183 when I stopped weighing, um, and I'm five foot. So um, there's the numbers. I have a sponsor in this program. I sponsor people, and uh, I'm on the first step again in this program, and I'm on the ninth step in another program that I go to. So those are kind of the statistics. Um, when Nancy asked me what 
topic I wanted to speak on um, and then told me that literature was one of the topics I was really excited um, one, because I was one of the people who came to OA and really wanted to just take all the pile of books, buy all the books. Um, and this was before Amazon, so I had to, you know, show up and get the books. But I wanted to get all the books and go home and read all the books. And I had lots of highlighter pins and, you know, ways to tab the pages. And I just thought, well, I'll get it through the books at home. Um, I hope I don't ever have to go back to a meeting or share. Ugh. Anyway, that didn't work particularly well for me. Um, but uh, I really love the books. And when she said that the way that this session was structured was you pick a particular piece of literature that you want to speak on um, and share on that rather than just saying literature as a whole is great or trying to cover all of the pieces of literature, I thought, ooh, how exciting. And I asked her if anybody had taken what is sometimes referred to as the brown book of Overeaters Anonymous. It's the book that looks like this now. Uh, we came out with a new edition in 2014. And when I first came to OA, um, the second edition uh, was only a couple years old. Um, they printed that in 2001. And the first time they printed this book was in uh, 1980. And the reason I love this book so much is that much like uh, the big book, after it goes through um, the first half of the book, it goes to individual stories. And this book is mostly a collection of individual stories. And for me, when I first came in, I needed a lot of speaker meetings, and I needed to hear other people's stories. Because I didn't understand where you were before you got here. I just assumed everybody was here, everybody got it, everybody walked in the door and was abstinent. I I, it was difficult for me to identify, particularly in meetings where, you know, it was a big book study or it was a 12 and 12, a meeting that read the steps and the traditions um, as the presentation part of the meeting. I really needed speaker meetings, and I really needed to access other people's stories. So this book, which um, I can't remember exactly how I got it, um, probably just in a furious collection of literature from <laughs> the literature table, but um, I thought, how odd that it's a book that says on the front of it, Overeaters Anonymous, that appears to be the name of it, and I've never heard it ever called that. It's always been called either Brown Book or something else. And uh, anyway, um, it starts with our invitation to you, you know, which is often read in meetings, but I didn't really know where that was from. Um, and then it ends at the back with three appendices that are really, in this edition it's now four, which are really lovely. And the reason they're so lovely is, much like the doctor's opinion in the big book, it talks about how uh, dietitians, medical doctors, uh, psychiatrists, uh, often don't understand what OA is about. And often when um, they have a patient who uh, is struggling with the effects of our disease, whether that's anorexia, bulimia, um, compulsive overeating, someone who is uh, very overweight, um, or has some other disease that's showing up in a way that they don't understand why it's happening, they don't know how to treat that person. And um, 
And the idea of addiction is difficult sometimes for them to understand. And so three of the appendices that are in this version are copied from the second. And one of them is new. And the one that's new is the first one now, the one that they've made, Appendices A, um, or Appendix A. And it's written by a dietitian. And the one that I really like is B, which is written by a psychiatrist. And one of the things I really love in it is, um, and this is, this really dovetails with my experience. Oh, also one of the things that's lovely about these appendices is um, they're labeled a disease of the mind, a disease of the body, and a disease of the spirit. So, wow, that obviously was the prompt that they were given to write to. Um, but in B, uh, it talks about that in medical school, where doctors are never taught about overeating, certainly not as a disease. So we were prejudiced against it. Overeaters Anonymous is very successful with cases that haven't responded to conventional kinds of treatment. This success is often threatening to the professionals because it's difficult for us to see how someone who hasn't had years of study and expertise could be more successful with people who we've been trying to treat unsuccessfully for so long. The remarkable thing about OA's success is that the program gets people to function far better than they ever have in their lives. With any other disease, you're lucky to get back to where you were. If you have a heart attack, for example, you're fortunate to get your heart to function as well as it did before the attack. With a compulsive eater, not only do you get back to a normal weight, but more importantly, your life has changed. And in a sense, you're ahead of where you were before you became a compulsive overeater. Now you have tools of feeling, touching, caring, loving, sharing, being honest with your family, and looking at life in an understanding way and not fighting it, but going along with it. Once you treat the illness, you have the potential to be a more together person than you were. Therefore, it's exciting for physicians and others who have been ignoring the problem or expressing deep pessimism pessimism about it, to think of compulsive eating as a disease and to realize it can be treated so successfully. Then he also talks about that compulsive overeating is a serious disease and it's devastating to this country. It's the basic cause of disorders that medicine often sees as primary illnesses, such as hypertension and diabetes. But physicians don't look at compulsive overeating. They look at the secondary disease process that comes from compulsive overeating. They ignore the overeating and work, vigorously work on the symptoms and the secondary diseases. Obviously, that is not the way to treat it. If a patient has pneumonia, I'm sorry, pneumonia, <laughs> The doctor doesn't treat the fever and then send the patient home afterwards when the temperature is normal saying, your fever is down, now watch that pneumonia. But we certainly do this with the overeater. We take care of the secondary disease and we tell the patient, your weight or blood pressure or blood sugar is normal, now watch that overeating. You know, for me, I, I weigh myself once a month and when I go to the doctor, when I hop on the scale, I say to the nurse or whoever is standing there, um, I'm going to face away from the scale, and I don't want you to tell me the number. And I do that because that number has so much power over me. And it sends me right back into a very diseased place in my brain that says, if the number is lower than I expect, then I'm okay. And if it's higher than I expect, which, you know, can be the case in a doctor's office, um, 
I, I go into, I'm not okay. And I need to carry that around until the next time, the next month when I weigh myself at home. And so what can go from being a great day, um, uh, can, can radically change. And I, I wish that was something that I could just will away. Um, but progress, not perfection. Right. Um, and the interesting that thing that's come from that is when I do that, um, sometimes the nurse or whoever is standing there will say, well, why are you doing that? And I tell them, well, I'm an Overeaters Anonymous, and um, the number is not what dictates uh, where I am today. And, uh, and, and sometimes they'll ask me additional questions about Overeaters Anonymous. Um, and man... The opportunity to carry the message into a doctor's office, that's a pretty amazing thing to get to do. Um, so, yeah. I, uh, the individual stories in this book um, are very powerful. And um, I want to tell you a story about myself, and then I'll tell you a story out of here. Um, actually, I'll tell you. Uh, I have five minutes left, so I'll give you a little glimpse of a couple things that happened to me before program. Um, when I was a kid, I uh, got chastised in a ballet class for trying to sneak sweet things um, by tucking them into my leotard just to eat them during class. So I thought that might be a good way to get through class because um, ballet is hard. Um, uh, another thing that happened to me was um, I was in a play in junior high. My mom, um, who uh, also... Uh, Uh, is overweight. Um, she made me a costume for this play, and the part was for me to play a very overweight woman. And so, in addition to the size that I was, they stuffed this costume. And I didn't tell my mom that the costume needed to be bigger. I just stuffed it as much as I could. And one of the thin girls who was in the play came up to me and touched my thigh and said, Oh, that's you. You're not actually padded there. And I thought, Oh, God. Um, yeah. And then, uh, when I was in, uh, high school, um, we were having a dance and we were electing a, uh, prom court, um, and, uh, using my friends who I'd had since elementary school, I ran a very successful whisper campaign, um, to become elected the queen of this thing. Now, I didn't look anything like anything you could uh, imagine what a prom queen looked like. And um, the whole reason I ran this very successful campaign was not because I really wanted to be queen, what, but because I wanted to dance with the guy who I was madly in love with, and I knew that he was going to get elected. And uh, so anyway, I'm sitting outside the school afterwards, and a... Uh, uh, boy who I had gone to um, uh, element, uh, junior high and elementary school um, came to the school afterwards and saw me standing there wearing the sash and he was like, you? Um, and then one of the girls who was on the court who did look like what a, what a prom queen should look like, her and her mom actually like filed a complaint with the school that obviously I had somehow rigged the process because how could somebody who looked like me get elected for something like that? Um, and so anyway, 
this whole shame um, and body image thing, oh, God, that's powerful stuff for me. And one of the things I've really had to work on with the uh, with this program. And, you know, one of the stories that's in here, there's, there's stories about, like I've gone through this book and it talks about, you know, here's somebody who's bulimic. Here's somebody who came into OA very early. Here's somebody who came into OA late in their life. Here's a story from a gentleman. Um, they really tried with putting in 40 new stories into this book to give a wide diversity of experience. And um, one of the stories that really spoke to me um, is not me. Um, it's about a man who uh, has a child and that he takes a boat out sailing. Um, and he wanted to go out sailing. And he, uh, his daughter was going to a day camp on the other side of the lake. And so his plan was to get this boat again and to go back to sailing, even though that was something that he had done many, many pounds ago and many, many years ago. And the first time he does it, he falls out of the boat, and the lifeguard has to help him get back onto shore um, while his wife and his daughter are standing there. And so anyway, I was like, oh, my gosh, the shame. I totally identify with that. And then the next time, the boat, he can't catch any wind for anything. And he realizes that in the big book it says, We cease praying for our own selfish ends, but we may be helped if we pray for others. And so he says, I was moved to say, God, this is not for me. I believe my daughter needs to have confidence in her father. If it is your will, you will get me to the launch ramp in time to pick her up. Thank you, God. He says, I was not accustomed to asking God for help with my problems or saying thank you let alone thinking about how my actions might affect others. I also did not expect a clear and immediate response. It goes on to say, The wind that had been teasing my sails now fully engaged them, and I watched in awe as the boat headed straight to the dock. So, you know, often the miracles we get here aren't as direct as the wind feeling our sails immediately in a response for other, uh, a prayer for others, but sometimes it is. So thank you. Please help me welcome our second speaker, Alana. Everybody, I'm Alana. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, and um, uh, Nancy invited me to speak about the big book topic um, today. Uh, the big book is something that she knows I love very much. We were in a big book study together um, for a couple of years where we would read through the big book in a small discussion group and go through it over and over. And the more I read it, the more I love it. And so um, she knew that was a piece of literature that I would enjoy speaking about and asked me to share and bring it to you today. Um, I know you asked to turn off the electronics, but I put my phone on airplane mode and I bring it up here because for those of you who don't know, 
there is an app that you can download that has the first half of the big book on it. And it's a great tool because you, I pretty much have this little device with me wherever I go. I don't always have my big book with me. But if I need some support, if I need to read something from the OA literature, it's right there in my purse or in my pocket. And the other thing that, that's really nice about it is it breaks down all the chapters, and you can search out a page number, and you can also search out a word or a topic. And it'll tell you in, um, instantly, you know, where, like, for example, recently I received a text from a sponsee who's struggling with her work, and she just sent me a text asking, where does it say in the big book that God is our employer? So I'm like, um, I know that chapter, I know that paragraph, but where is it? And I just pulled out this little app, and it typed in the index search, employer, and then it tells you every single page in the book where the word employer shows up. And I could quickly find that paragraph and text that to her because um, she was just flipping through the book, looking for it, looking for it. And it, it's funny because um, we know those. I've read it so many times now with my sponsees and with my sponsors, that I, I can visualize and I can get the flavor of that paragraph, but then right when you when you need it, there it is. You can pull it out and find it and reread it. And, um, and I laughed and I said, I feel like I'm, you know, a, a big book thumper now. I'm an official thumper, you know, that people text me with questions. Where does it say in the book? And I'm their quick reference, you know. It would have been more scary if I could pull the number of the page out of my hat but uh, without searching it. But... Um, but if, for those of you who are new, um, is there anybody here who's new to OA? Who, anybody here who doesn't have a copy of the big book? Okay. So I'm preaching to the choir, but I, I feel like, to me, when I first came in, when I was new, um, the word Alcoholics Anonymous, the title of that book that we refer to now as the big book, um, I didn't understand at all what it had to do with compulsive overeating. I came in by way of... Another person's addiction, um, who I loved and who was close to me, and I was introduced to the 12 steps as part of being um, in a family support group. And um, when I started to hear that people were recovering from drug and alcohol or other substances by using this 12-step program, and I learned that there was one that had to do with food, I immediately identified because I could identify with the shares in the, in the meeting of the addict I could identify that I was definitely using food to change the way I feel, the way they were using other, you know, substances that are labeled chemicals. What I didn't understand was that I could be chemically dependent on food as a substance and certain types of food and certain quantities of food would affect my body the same way that drugs or alcohol could affect um, someone else suffering from an addiction, compulsive disorder. Um, so when I came into my first meeting by way of, of being kind of guided towards the 12 steps as a, as a potential solution, and it was suggested to me um, by a very wonderful woman, you know, who, who was meeting me at the af at the, after the meeting at the literature table, and I'm staring at all the literature, where do I start? And she said, you might want to get this book. And I look at it, and I'm like, Alcoholics Anonymous, but I'm not an alcoholic, so I don't understand how this is going to help me. And what I've come to know and love about this book is that it is a blueprint for recovery for any addiction, any substance, any um, compulsive disorder. And it gives you step-by-step -step instructions. And I, I needed that. I needed that guidance because I have a little bit of a tendency to start and stop projects. And 
read this and read that and read a little here, read a little there, but then to, to kind of work through what does it mean to work the 12 steps? I could read about the 12 steps, but how do I actually apply that? And so this, this wonderful woman, then I said to her, I don't know how this is going to help. I don't know what to, where to start. I feel like I want to get started. The first meeting I went to, I identified with all of your shares and I knew I wanted what you had, and I wanted someone to show me how to do it. And she said, okay, call me and and tell me what you're going to eat tomorrow, and why don't you just read the first three pages? And, of course, I wanted to read the whole book right away. Like, tell me what to do, and I'll start reading. And she said, nope, just read a little bit and then sit and digest it. She actually said, peck at it like a chicken eats. Like, peck a little and then sit. (laughs) back a little and sit. So that's the visual I had. Like, I wanted to keep being a compulsive eater. I don't peck a little and then sit with my food. I want to gobble it all up, right? So I wanted to do that with the literature. And she said, nope, I want you just to read the first three pages and underline whatever speaks to you. And so we started that way. And she actually had me read it from the very, very beginning, from the foreword, from the preface. And I didn't understand why those things would be important. But as I read them, I started to get some of the historical perspective. And that's one of the things I love about this book, although it's it's sort of weird language. When you first start reading the book, it's written in the 30s by primarily, you know, white upper middle class men, you know, and I just didn't identify with the language I, as a woman, as a lesbian, as a Jew. It felt very white male Christian and 1930s language. And at the same time, it was all making a lot of sense when you substitute the word food for alcohol or um, binge eating for alcoholism or, you know, uh, compulsive overeating for alcoholic, you know. And so that's, that's what she had suggested, just change the word alcohol to food, change the word alcoholic to compulsive overeater, and then look for where you can relate to the stories and where you identify with what you're reading rather than how you're different from what you're reading. And so reading the foreword to the first edition, you know, and, and I actually didn't realize it, but I had a, a, an older copy someone had given me that was a third edition, and she was reading the fourth. So I ended up having to get the fourth edition, but I like seeing how they've changed. The language hasn't really changed in the first 156, 164 pages, but the stories have changed, but the page numbering seemed a little different, and so we, we started, um, when she would refer me to some story, I couldn't find the right page, so I, I did switch to the fourth edition, but um, when I look back on it now, my book is, I had to rebind it, because it was falling apart from the use and how much um, I referred to it with, you know, and um, it, I had to glue it back together, but um, there's so many underlines and highlights, and I do it in different colors, different pens. Each time I read it with a new sponsee, um, I, I tag different things. I see different things. Every time I reread it, I learn. I can see a deeper level of understanding. So she said start, you know, three pages here, three pages there. And the more I read, the more um, I wanted to read. And each time I reread it, I, I relate to it even more. Uh, but what, I, what I, I certainly steer people to in the beginning and what I find most relevant is the doctor's opinion. And that just reminds me that this is a disease. And when I came in here, um, I didn't understand that this was a disease. I didn't understand that food could be a chemical that I could have a physical allergy to or reaction to um, that affected my body as well as my mind. And I also didn't understand how God had anything to do with it and how that was also a spiritual sickness. And what I like about it is that um, they break out the chapters and I'm just looking at my little index in my, my app, but 
you know, it, each of the chapters um, breaks down and kind of addresses the issues, um, you know, trying to help me identify with the fact that this is an addiction and that that there is a solution, that it's not a matter of willpower. It's actually a matter of turning over and trying to stop control a disease that I have no control over. So just like, you know, if you were given a diagnosis of cancer, you wouldn't sit and will it away and say, I, you know, I must have cancer uh, because I'm a bad person, and if I just do things better, then the cancer will go away. That's not how we think about physical illnesses, and this is a physical illness. And so instead of looking at, like, I'm a bad person because I can't stay on a diet, and if I just try harder, this desire to keep eating will go away, I had to stop thinking of it in those terms. And the doctor's opinion really helped me to do that, um, and especially where, you know, the... the um, the doctor who wrote, you know, that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. So the body of a compulsive overeater, it's not just the mind. It's not just we see, I see food and I want to eat too much of it. It's that once I start eating it, it triggers this reaction, the phenomenon of craving. And talks a lot about, in the doctor's opinion, the phenomenon of craving. And, um, and that once you have this phenomenon, you can't really stop. And so the, the solution is to not put something in your body that you're allergic to that will create this phenomenon of craving so that your cravings will lessen. And then the rest of the book kind of gives you instructions on how to go about doing that, how to like stop putting things into your body that will... Once I firmly believed, reading the doctor's opinion, that this was true for me, that if I stopped eating these foods that the cravings would go away and then I tried it and then I had that experience that the cravings were lessened, then the question is when I start to get cravings to eat those things again, how can I stay stopped? What do I need to do to stay stopped? So the steps are the way to stay stopped and to find other ways to cope with our feelings. So usually the things that bring on cravings for me are the things they tell us in the book to watch out for, you know, the... um, anger, resentment, and fear. And I now have a way, as described in the book, how to actually take a situation when something happens, write it down on paper in a format that makes sense where I can look at it without just constantly processing it in my head. I can actually look at it on a paper and get clarity and get some relief from the fear, the anger, and not let it turn into a festering resentment of something not going my way in the past. Um, and then the cravings are are removed. They they dissipate, and the desire to use that substance to change the way I feel is no longer as important because I can use the big book steps, the way they explain it, to change the way I feel without picking up my substance. So, um, you know, when I go through the book and I look at it, there's there's no way in another five minutes I can share with you all the things I've gotten out of the book, but. This is how I work the steps with my sponsees. We read it page by page, starting at the very beginning, at the foreword with the preface. And I've been to big book work, uh, workshops where we've studied it like a text, where we look at it as a text and go through it. And it's been so enlightening and so helpful and rewarding. And those workshops are available online um, they have, you know, in AA, they have some recordings of the old-timers, the Joe and Charlie show. And in OA, there's a speaker named Lori um, L-A-W-R-I-E. But you can Google him, the big book study, and find the the recordings on um, 
podcasts and listen to it. And we've had them in the East Bay and we've had them in Marin over the past eight years since I've been in program. And I guess just to qualify, like um, I've been in program eight years. I'm doing this reverse. This is how I should have started. I've been in program eight years, and I'm I was top weight was 245, and now I'm at 160, and that's because I use this big book or the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps of Action on to change the way I feel now instead of putting food into my body to change the way I feel. I'm able to maintain this physical recovery, and now I also have a coping mechanism for dealing with when someone steps on my toes, I don't have to retaliate. I can actually sit with it, pause when agitated or doubtful, you know, and ask for the next right thought or action. I mean, these are words that come into my head from having read and reread this book. Like, I have a new way of thinking. It's training me to think a different way. So um, I encourage you, if you don't read the book with your sponsees, to do it. Um, If you have a sponsor and you're not working through the book, read it underline what speaks to you and talk about it just page by page and i think that's my time is just about up and so i'll end there and um and then i know if there's questions at the end i'll have the ask a basket going around so people can ask them questions about how i use the book thanks We'll send the Ask It Basket around again in case some new questions have come up for you. Um, Our next speaker is Rosalie. Welcome, Rosalie. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me okay? First of all, I want to say there are men in OA. And for the the, uh, tape, I just uh, did a fist clench. It's nice to be here. How about these speakers? Huh? Let's give them a hand. Uh, these guys were great. We got the brown book. We got the big book of AA. And we got four today. It's hard to improve on that. Um, I'm going to talk about Lifeline in a while. Hopefully you guys all know what Lifeline is. And before we leave, we're going to all subscribe to Lifeline. That's, I'll get to that. Anyways, um, I'll talk a little bit about me, my favorite topic. Uh, I... Uh, came into uh, AA, excuse me, OA, through the side door, because I uh, was, am, I am a drug addict and alcoholic and proud of it, by the way. And uh, what what often happens with um, people who are in AA and, 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 and drug addicts is there's a saying, you put down the spoon and you pick up the fork. And uh, I, I did that, and I uh, gained weight. And uh, if you've ever been to AA meetings, they have, like, cookies and uh, donuts. And, in fact, one of the AA meetings I went to was in Arizona. It was called Drunken Donuts, which I thought was a great name. Anyways, um, if I could get serious for four seconds. No. Um, there was somebody that I worked with that I knew was in, was in uh, OA. And just af- after a, a vigorous night of overeating, I went up to her and I said, you know, hey, can I go to a meeting with you? And she goes, yeah, sure. The important thing is another one of our tools is anonymity, and anonymity is important. I, I get that. But the fact is that I knew that she – somehow I knew that she was in, in OA, and that's how I got to my first meeting in San Francisco in uh, 85. And uh, that person, Janet Q, no longer lives here, but uh, she was also the first person to tell me nobody ever starved to death between lunch and dinner. And I'm so grateful because I have said that over 50 times. Um, my uh, 
uh, time in OA has not been uh, what you'd call continuous, and that is to say I, uh, I was in and got what I wanted, which was thin, and uh, which I guess was, was good. You know, and you know, at some at some meetings we don't we don't do it as much as we used to, but people will show pictures. You understand what I'm saying? I'll be like, hey, here's my pictures. I used to be fat and ugly, and now look at me, I'm beautiful. And I remember coming in after having been out and thinking to myself, you know, if I showed you my pictures, I'd be thin. So that kind of shows you how screwed up I was. But anyways, um, I um, was in for about seven or eight years. I considered myself a kind of an OA superstar. And then I decided, uh, I guess, not consciously, but I didn't, I didn't, um, I just didn't go to meetings anymore. And um, I want to say a couple things about that. One thing I want to say is there is nothing more that will screw up your eating than OA, okay? If you think you can leave here and go out and enjoy food like you used to, and overeating and binging, no way, you can't do it. Forget it. And so it, it wasn't really very much fun. The other thing is, I want to say, <laughs> when I was out there, I never once said, I hate OA. OA doesn't work. The people are, oh, we're, this is on tape, isn't it? So I can't swear. The people are screwed up. Never said that. In fact, if you saw me, I probably would have said, yeah, I'm in OA. So it was a weird uh, sense of... Um, then I came back, and I've been back now this time for uh, probably 11 years, and uh, that's where I belong. Um, <laughs> this is important. I was uh, getting gas in a gas station one day, and I walk in, and out the door comes a guy from OA. I am not in OA anymore, but I am like, and I immediately look for a place to hide could not find a place to hide. And it was a guy, and he said, hey, dude, what's going on? And I'm like, yeah, hi. Okay, so then I went in and did my thing in the store. And then I come out, and I get my gas. And you know how when you're leaving and there's, you both kind of get at the same place at the same time? And one person says, yeah, go ahead, waves it. So I, the car was coming in, and I was leaving, and the other car waved me, and I went by, and it was a person from OA. And I thought, this is the guy shot. I got to get my ass back to OA. Which I did, um, and I've been back since. Um, I, I do want to say another thing. This is important. You know, as I look around the room, by the way, for the tape, there are a lot of good-looking people in here. Excellent, everybody. But seriously, when I look around, I see people who I bet you every one of you have had either university training or training in, in the um, – in the uh, trades, like carpentry, air heating, air conditioning, something like that. The, import the importance of that is, is that we're trained and rewarded for figuring things out, okay? You get an A because you figure it out. Remember the word problems, like the guy who's going 60 miles an hour east and the other guy's going 40 miles an hour west, who gets there first, and there's always some nerd in the back that knows the answer? I was never that guy. But the point is, you get rewarded for figuring stuff out. And that's what we do. That's what we do. We go to graduate school or we go to become a medicine or medical. And, you know, or you come to my house and, and I say, I want to build a bookshelf. And the guy goes, okay, I can, I can figure that out. 
Overeating, compulsive overeating becomes a problem in our lives. Okay? What do we do? Do we say, oh, yeah, I better get some help? No. We say, I can figure this out because that's what I do. I figure things out. I'm good at this. It doesn't work, does it? We know that it doesn't work. The other thing people do is they say, oh, I'm not a joiner. I don't like me. I'm not a joiner. I don't, I don't go to meetings. I don't like. And, and this God thing, <laughs> that don't work for me. You know, I grew up a Catholic, and uh, a good friend of mine says they tried to teach me a language that was 5,000 years old. What's that all about? I don't, I don't like this God thing. So those are big barriers. Um, and it's only until I knew that I couldn't figure out that I needed help that I uh, started listening and came around. And that's made all the difference. So I, I, Lifeline is our publication of OA. What's good about this? What's good about this? Number one, it's organic. It's alive. It changes. I love the big book. I love the brown book. I love for today. But it doesn't change. Okay, this, every month it comes in. It comes in a wrapper that says the owner of this house is an compulsive overeater. Not doesn't. It comes in a little plain old wrapper. Uh, thank you for chuckling. <laughs> for the tape, there was a few chuckles on that. Um, you also support our fellowship, which has done so much for us. Okay? Uh, it's $23 a year. And OA, by the way, I love OA. I love the people. But OA people are the cheapest people you'll ever meet. You know? There's four people in the meeting, and you pass the basket, and $1 comes back. But yeah, $23 a year. And um, it's very, very um, portable. I was going to say mobile. Portable. Like women, you can stick it in your purse. I, I, I have them in my car. I have a whole bunch of them. But I, I try to bring them to meetings, too, so we have, like, a lending library. Uh, and um, every, uh, every month is a different uh, theme. This one is abstinence through the ages. That's kind of a pun because they have, like, different age groups. You know, like... I hate to use I hesitate to use the word old, but you know elder older people and, and newer people too. And uh, I've found that it's really nice in times of you know when I have time is to just reach back and just pull out an older one and just start reading the articles. Um, and there's also some humor in it, which I like. And uh, they have. Um, <laughs> this is interesting. They also have like where you can write, you know, like letter to the editor. So I, I picked up one one day, and somebody said, "You know that article in the December that was the worst article. If you ever wanted to, you know, talk about the program, that was short sighted." And, blah, blah, blah. and the next article, ne very next one said. I was so impressed with that article in the December issue. It has just shown me so much. So, you know, you have a divergence of opinion, which is not a big surprise. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, qualifying. Is, um, oh, by the way, there's no abstinence requirements for reading Lifeline. That's a, that's a joke. Thanks again for chuckling. As you can probably see, I'm more of an easy does it kind of guy. Okay. This is a lifelong program. I'm here. I'm a lifelong OA member, okay? When it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, you think, 
I would have figured out what's important. And what do we say at every meeting? First of all, at the end of the meeting, we say, keep coming back. You know, and I finally get that. And when I do get that, it makes such a difference for me. Um, my abstinence is uh, three meals a day. You guys familiar with that? Three meals a day life in, uh, with life in between one day at a time, 301, okay? And also I added, because I like to add things, um, no binge foods. And what are binge foods, Phil? Well, you know what they are, okay? We all know what our binge foods are. I don't do binge foods. I don't do second helpings. I don't eat off other people's plates. And this is a new one. I don't do desserts because I kind of did a couple of desserts, and I'm just like, Psh, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, I do sponsor people. Um, and I really think if you really want to learn about the program, be a sponsor. Because if I if let's say I'm sponsoring this long lady, Erica, and I say, Erica, we're going to read the doctor's opinion at Starbucks next Tuesday. What am I going to do? Before I meet with Erica, I'm going to figure out what the damn doctor's opinion says, right? Because I got to, you know. Um, and if you're not sponsoring people, phew, you know, you're really missing the gem of the program. First of all, you get to know somebody really close. And you get to learn a lot about what our program's about. And you get to figure out what you're doing. Um, and my theory on that is, I have a lot of theories, which you can probably figure out. One of my theories is, is that the reason people don't sponsor very much is they're afraid that they're not going to know the answer when the guy asks them a question. Okay? Um, don't. Don't be. And again, my, my suggestion is when somebody asks you to sponsor them, the first thing you say is yes. The second thing you say is, where do you want to meet? And then you say, in line with one of our speakers, is we're going to start reading the doctor's opinion in the big book. Because that's where step one is in the big book, is in the doctor's opinion. And what's ironic about that is the pages are numbered there. They're in the little, uh, what do you call them, Roman numerals. Who reads, who reads Roman numerals? <laughs> Nobody. So if you see somebody who's either an alcoholic or the family of an alcoholic and you say, I want to get that book, you know, I want to, I want to figure this out. And, you know, well, what's this disease of alcoholism is all about? And they start, they start at page one. Well, if you start at page one, you've missed the, um, you know, what, uh, you missed step one. So that's usually what I do. Second thing I do is, is I say, next time we meet, we're going to read the appendix, which is at the end of the big book. Appendix two is about spiritual experience. By the way, nobody reads the appendixes either. So you've already really helped out a new guy, a new person, because um, that's where they talk about what a spiritual experience is, and it's very short. It's like, you know, six pages. Um, the mobility of the lifeline and the fact that it's organic and it's a living document is really, really special to me. And I hope you'll all uh, subscribe. I do have some, I do have one, Lifeline subscriptions. Last thing I'll do is tell you this story, is when I was uh, kind of, I, kind of was, I was in program, but I wasn't really, I was coming, but I wasn't really committed. And one day this guy said, we're going to have a Lifeline thing. So I, I did three years. You know, typical grandiose compulsive reader. 
three. I can't do one year or two years. Got to do three years. Well, what happened was I, after that, decided that I, that I, went, I went out and I wasn't going to meet anymore. And every month that thing came, every month I go to the mailbox, oh, yeah, Lifeline, great. But it was, a, and I remember the guy that sold it to me, tickets I used to have Lifeline reps, but it was a constant reminder. And that's the last thing I want to say is when you go to the mailbox and you get that Lifeline, you know, you belong. You belong. You have a community. And I think that's really important for me. I, you know, I wouldn't have thought that that's what I was missing when I came in. But the community, and, and think about when you have a meeting, when you have a meeting that you really like. It's more than just the people. It's just a community. You walk in. It's almost like cheers or something. You walk in and you go, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm quitting, except I want to say one more thing. My time is up. But I used to hold my breath all the time, like all the time. I figured that out through this is another long story, which I won't tell you. But it's really nice to just come in and just breathe. Because I feel that way sometimes. I go, man, I can go to that you know, 6 a.m. meeting or 7, whatever it is, and just breathe. You know, just, because that's such important in life. Anyways, thanks for listening. Hope you get a lifeline. Let's thank our speakers for sharing their experience, strength, and hope. And the script says, as they take a seat on stage for the Ask It Basket, um, come on up. There's only four questions. Okay, so the first question is, um, I think, directed towards Alana. It is for clarification, the name of the app. Oh, okay. Uh, the app is called 12-Step Companion. And uh, I'm not sure if it's conference approved or not, but it is um, the exact wording from the big book. There's no additional wording added. And uh, it has some other things on there, some prayers and some other references. Thank you. Okay, so I'll just read the question, and then you guys can determine who wants to answer it. Um, This says, share your experience on how you found peace around what happened in Orlando this month. I'm Rosalie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, So my sister is gay, and um, when Orlando happened... Um, I called my sister to just check and see how she was doing. Um, She lives in San Francisco, so she had a lot of support. She and her wife um, have been together as long as my husband and I have been together. Um, And uh, I asked her if there was anything that she needed from me. Um, And she said no. I mean, she appreciated that I called, but that was about it. Um, But what I did feel is um, I went back to the OA literature is what I did, um, looking for peace and serenity in what was familiar to me. I looked for something familiar. Um, I also looked at stuff about relationships because, for me, that's what it's all about. 
when I know people that are different than me, it doesn't have anything to do with being gay or lesbian or any other, any other gender, um, I tend to think of them as outside of me. But when I know them, like the people in these rooms, um, I know them on a heart-to-heart -heart level. And it's so much easier to connect with what is similar about our experiences rather than what is different. And so my OA literature was really a comfort during that time, and I'm still processing it. I mean, it's a horrible thing. Uh, my husband and I um, get the Sacramento Bee, and in there they had a big one page that said, can you remember what it was? Um, something about uh, love is all there is or something like that. And it was in the rainbow colors. And um, I was walking around my neighborhood the other day, and somebody had taken one of the um, election posters, election signs that are often printed, often used on the uh, lawns outside of people, and they had put the banner on it. And uh, that, you know, it, it's stuff that seems so small, but it, for me, it meant a lot. And I know for the people around me, we have gay and lesbian, bi transsexual and bi um, bi bi bisexual and transgender people in our own OA community, and I know for them it means a lot when um, our OA group can support them. In fact, I just went to the um, meeting here right before this workshop, and I'm heterosexual. I don't, you know, uh, have many of the difficulties that that community does, but I could identify what, the, what they were talking about with the food. And it helps me to know that other community because they are, they are me inside in my heart, they are me. So that's my take. Anybody else? My name is Stefan. I'm a compulsive reader. I guess the only thing that I would add is that I um, I have a sponsee um, who is gay, and her spouse uh, works in a field that's been really um, torn up about this event, and. I guess it it gave us a reason to continue moving forward on the steps and to continue meeting regularly. And I think when something like this happens, um, there's many different ways to react, and not there isn't like a right way to do it. But I know that one of the things that has happened since then is that we've been talking on the phone a lot. And we've been doing OA step work a lot. Um, so to be able to be of service to her um, in that way, I'm, I'm so happy to be able to do that. So this next question, um, it's kind of long. I'll read it um, and then maybe um, translate a little bit what I think it says. It says, um, is there, I think, I think what it's asking, is there a place in the big book you would reference for however um, this person's feeling? Um, is there a particular part of the big book that you find helpful when you feel like you are in the character defects that lead to not including yourself in the OA fellowship? Self-centeredness, judgmental, not being right-sized, etc. So maybe reference the big book for isolation, judgment, Self-centeredness. Um, well, 
I guess, you know, I, I think about those character defects um, coming up and would want to look at the section in the big book that talks about how we work through step six and seven, that we, you know, go through the fourth step inventory. I, I work my fourth step inventory the way they do it, the format, the four columns that my sponsor and I worked through. And I learned more about myself in that process than in 40 years of therapy, talking in a circular way about my problems, but never being able to look at what was my part and what could I do differently. And so whenever I feel upset about anything, whether I feel like I, I feel shame, I feel like I want to isolate, when I feel anxious, when I feel angry, if someone hurt my, hurt my feelings, all I can do now is look back at the fourth step formula for this, write out what happened, what part of me I think was being affected, what was my part, did I do something to start this ball rolling, was it even just my attitude, um, was I selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, or afraid? And if I'm afraid or if I'm dishonest with myself, then the last part for me is what could I do differently? What would my higher power want me to do? What would be the opposite action? So if I'm understanding the question correctly, like when I'm living in a character defect of wanting to isolate or low self-esteem or shame, um, correct me if I'm wrong if that was the question, then how I would address that is to look at why am I feeling that way? Did some event happen? And I try to get as specific as possible. My sponsor had me not just write globally like, oh, I'm upset with my sister because she she used to, you know, tease me. I would say I'm specifically upset about this time when she said this and this is how it made me feel and this is how I reacted because the more specific I can get, the more, first of all, I get clear on that resentment and it gets moved, removed. So, it gets lessened, and I get brought back down to earth if I'm angry. If I'm angry about something, I can say, okay, I actually did have a part in this. I hate to admit it. Or have I ever done this to someone else? That is so humbling. Have I ever behaved that way? It humbles me, and so I can say, okay, yeah, they're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Everyone has a right to have a bad day, including myself, and I can stop beating myself up for having character defects because we're all human. My name is Tiffany. I'm a compulsive overreader. So I would say that I just did the sixth and seventh step with a sponsee who was frustrated about how quickly those are covered in the big book. And I said, never fear. Um, the AA 12 and 12 and the OA 12 and 12 are so incredibly rich on those two steps. So um, we're going to be fine. Um, somebody else also mentioned the workbook, and particularly when I'm working with a sponsee who's brand new to the program, I love using the workbook. Um, you know, with each question tracking with a step of the OA 12 and 12, it's so lovely. I think the last thing that I would offer is when I am in a meeting um, and I'm feeling like nobody else has my problem, that's when it's important for me to share and to include in my share, I don't know if anyone else has ever experienced blah, but if you have, I'd love to talk to you after the meeting and stay for the meeting after the meeting because the meeting after the meeting is incredibly rich. Okay, well, Tiffany just helped answer this fourth question, which is what piece of literature spoke to you most as a newcomer? Maybe each of you could answer this one. Um, 
definitely the big book um, because as a newcomer, that's what I was most familiar with, that and the AA 12 and 12. Um, but as OA developed its own literature, I think the OA 12 and 12 is divinely inspired. And um, I have used that book probably as much as my little For Today or even The Voices of Recovery. Those three books are the ones I use the most, but definitely the um, OA 12 and 12. For some reason, it speaks to me in a different language than any of the other uh, literature. And p what I particularly like about it is that it does not let me off the hook. It is so direct in asking those questions, and I'm thinking particularly of step four. It doesn't allow me to wiggle my way around the fuzziness that I want to get into by ignoring you know, what the crux of the issue is. So I particularly like the OA 12 and 12. Uh, Phil, uh, still, compulsive reader. Uh, without a doubt, it would be the pamphlet, Commitment to Abstinence. People come in and go, Abstinence, what's that all about? You know? Higher power, okay, I get that. I don't like it, but I get it. But what is Abstinence? What's that all about? Commitment to Abstinence. It used to be pink. It's free. And uh, whenever I am with a new person, I always say, let's read this together. And it's short. And now with the advent, by the way, with the advent of cell phones, it's really nice because they can say, like, uh, the illusion. I say, what does illusion mean? Why don't you look that up for me? And the guy looks it up. You know, and we start going that way. So that's, that would be mine. would be the pamphlet, uh, Commitment to Abstinence. And then when a guy comes back, there's a welcome back, uh, Members in Relapse, which is fantastic. So anyways, that's me. Um. I've already shared how much I love the big book, but what I would say as a brand new newcomer, the pamphlet, the um, Dignity of Choice that was in the newcomer packet really helped me get started with um, understanding the difference between being on a diet and being in recovery. And it helped me to really get honest about what were what my sponsor and I call my red, yellow, and green light foods. So to start to start on the process of defining what my abstinence was, the dignity of choice helped me identify with honesty those foods that caused me problems and one day at a time to not put them on my food plan. And then once, because I was so focused on the food and the weight loss that the spiritual and the emotional part of the program just didn't seem as high a priority. Now, eight years later, I can look back and say, that's the biggest gift I've gotten from this program, although it's easy to say that maintaining an 85-pound weight loss, I don't know how I would feel if I was in relapse constantly, but I've been blessed with the willingness to follow the food plan and to get honest and willing to, to define what is alcoholic food for me. And to admit it, and then to say, okay, if I'm going to recover, I have to treat this program like an alcoholic treats AA. I have to abstain from these things in a way that would, you know, be life or death. Take it really seriously. And so the Dignity of Choice pamphlet is a pamphlet I always steer newcomers to if I'm a newcomer greeter. And say, if there's only one pamphlet in this little packet that you read tonight or tomorrow, read the Dignity of Choice and see where you can identify I guess the only thing I would add is that, um, yeah, the newcomer's packet is phenomenal. Um, and uh, I used to go to a meeting when I was living in Chicago where if a newcomer – it was a 12 and 12 uh, meeting. And if a newcomer walked in, they would always take a vote to read the first step out of the 12 and 12. So we ended up reading the first step out of the 12 and 12 a lot. 
and it was awesome. Um, and I'm sure there were some people who were like, uh, again, um, but it worked out really great instead of having to say, oh, this is the second step or the, the second part of the fourth step. Don't worry. You're not there. You know, instead it was like, Hey, let's talk about food and what we've done with food. So. Okay, now is the time to close this session. Uh, please join hands as we close with, let's see, we can choose from serenity prayer, I put my hand in yours, the third or the seventh step. It would have a preference, serenity prayer? Okay. <laughs> 